back to the No BS Spiritual Book Club's live video series and with us today to share the stories behind the 10 books that had the most significant impact on her life path is musician, teacher, sound healer, award-winning author and the wife and partner of sound healing and harmonics pioneer Jonathan Goldman. Andy Goldman is with us this week. Jonathan was with us last week. So it's really going to be interesting, you know, just the contrast in the kinds of books. And I've got some questions to ask you, Andy, about, you know, what you each think of the others list as well. But let me just tell people a little bit about you first. Um, Andy is a licensed holistic psychotherapist. She specializes in holistic counseling and sound therapy. And she's the director of the Healing Sound Seminars and co-director of the Sound Healers Association. Together, she and Jonathan have co-authored Chakra Frequencies, which was a winner of the Visionary Award for Best Alternative Health Book of the Year, and their new best-selling book, The Humming Effect, which won the 2018 Gold Visionary Award for Best Health and Healing Book, which Jonathan spoke about last week. Now, if you've got any questions, as always, just post them in the chat room as we go through and we'll get to them at the end. So Andy, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. It's lovely to have you here. Oh, Sandy, I am honored to be a part of this beautiful book club. And thank you for inviting me. And I'm excited to, to share all my books and, you know, just share a little bit about myself and how it all kind of happened. <laughs> good, good. Well, before we start discussing your list, a couple of important questions. Um, many guests are finding this process quite challenging, but also they're telling me that at the end of it, it was like a walk down memory lane for them and they hadn't realized. What was it like for you? Wow, that is so interesting because it was, in fact, like a walk down memory lane for me. And when I found out about it and I started thinking, oh my gosh, which books are the ones in my life? And honestly, Sandy, I went back to my early 20s because that was when I really became involved in that, my metaphysical studies when I was just 22. And I started thinking about all these books and I mean, I don't even have any of them anymore. You know, I've loaned them out and they've, you know, disappeared. And so it was a walk down memory lane. And also it was interesting because I thought this is so easy because I've read so many books and so many books have been important to me. But when I was sort of you know, calling through all the ones that I wanted to share, then I got a lot more selective. And then I got ones that really, really, really had impacted me in a deep, profound way. And so that sort of, you know, brought in the list that I ended up giving to you. Second question, what, what do books mean to you in general? Oh, oof, I love books. Books are my friends. And, you know, it was so interesting because it, I do now read some books from my Kindle. And, you know, it's just easier. You download a book, you've got it right now. But it took me a long time because I like the feel of books. I like to hold the books. And you would not believe our house. Jonathan and I both 
are book lovers and we have so many books <laughs> in so many rooms. I don't know what we're going to end up doing with all of them, but I like, I love reading because what happens is you're able to travel and you're able to go into worlds that you never would have been able to enter and you get to go back in time and you just, I, I just, I love books and I always have. So I was excited to be part of this. <laughs> yeah, good. Well, books are my friends too. They've always been my friends. So I'm really glad that they, they mean that much to you. So let's start with your list then. I don't know. Did you put this list in any particular order? I did not. I did not. Okay. So the first They're kind of just random. Okay. That's good. Because some people like to, you know, do it sort of chronologically in a way or in, you know, favorites, etc. So your first book on your list is Upstream, Selected Essays by Mary Oliver. And that was one of O Magazine's uh, 10 best books of the year in oh, 2019. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. Okay. So good I choice. Know. Good I choice. <laughs> so tell us what this book means for you. Okay. Well, you know, and in fact, I happen to have my book right here because I do have it in hard copy. And I love this book. I did not know that it was on Oprah's list. I didn't see that list. But for me, this book is like taking a walk in nature. And it's, it's like when I, re I have it by my bedside. And at night, I will open it up just to bring in solace and peace from my day. Because I love Mary Oliver. I love the way that she writes. And in this book, there was a passage that I, I well, was hoping I could, it's very, very short, but I yeah. wanted to share it with our, our, our listeners here because <clears throat> it, it really spoke to why I like this book so much. And um, in this book, she does bring in some of the best thinkers of, our, of the world, Emerson, Wordsworth, Longfield, all those and this is a, a passage from uh, Emerson. And he, speaking of nature, that's why I wanted to read this because for me, I love nature. And actually every single day, Jonathan and I walk in a nature preserve that's about 10 minutes from our house. And my day is not complete unless I can do that. Mm -hmm. And anyway, so here's what Emerson says about nature. Nature is a text that is entirely about divinity and first purposes, a book of manners almost, but for the inner man. It does not demean by diction or implication the life that we are most apt to call real, but it, and this is my favorite part, it presupposes the heart's spiritual awakening as the true work of our lives oh that's lovely and that every time i read it I, I got chills just when i was reading it just then and i was hoping i could share that because it really means a lot to me a spiritual awakening as the true work of our lives so 
Anyway, Upstream by Mary Oliver. <laughs> when I was looking that book up on Amazon, one of the passages you know, in the um, description of the book that appealed to me was that she encourages, encourages us all to keep moving, to lose ourselves in the awe of the unknown and to give power and time to the creative and whimsical urges that live within us. I think that is beautiful. Oh my gosh, that is absolutely exquisite. Yeah. Three cheers for Mary Oliver. <laughs> we need to be reminded, don't we? We really do. And, and you know, and I think that that's why I like her work so much is because it does go deeply in and it always speaks to my heart, it speaks to my spiritual connection, and it really always, literally always brings me inspiration mm. and inner peace. And don't we all want inner peace right now? Absolutely, yeah. So book number two, Sylvia Brown's Book of Dreams. Oh boy, this was actually if I, this was the first book after the ones from my early 20s with Arthur Ford and Ruth Montgomery and those spiritual people. This was the book, and I have my own copy of this book as well. Because it's interesting when I read a book, other than you know, a book, you know, poetry or whatever, I will read it, and then that's you know, I don't usually go back and reread a book, I have but I don't usually do that. I did that with this book on dreams. What will happen, and in fact, this is interesting because when I was putting my list together, of course I got this book out and I just sort of opened it up and I went, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And I started reading the whole thing again. <laughs> and the reason that I chose it is because I, love working with dreams and as a uh, psychotherapist holistic psychotherapist i did a lot of dream work with my clients and i find that through our dreams we are really really able to go deeply into that unconscious that subconscious part of ourselves and we're able to get information through our dreams that we're not able to access otherwise. And what I like about Sylvia's book is that she brings in all, she classifies dreams in different ways. And she'll talk about uh, dreams that are prophetic. She'll talk about dreams that really are uh, fear related that are releasing anxiety. And, and I love that she talks about, you know, when there is a dream that has a tremendous amount of emotional impact on us, those are the dreams that we really want to listen to. And, and the symbology, and she's, uh, I've also studied Jung's uh, dream work quite in depth, and Sylvia too uh, adheres to it, but it's like, when you're looking at a symbol in a dream, it is what that symbol means to you, not what it means generically. You know, you can open a dream book, uh, you know, with different symbols and, you know, it's 
you know, a snake can mean this or that, but it matters what it means to you. And every time I pick up this book, I just don't want to put it down. <laughs> and and then the nice thing is Sylvia Brown is no longer um, on the planet in the physical, but when she was, I did have an opportunity to meet her in person. And that was really a highlight for me. And uh, Jonathan and I were at Louise Hayes' 80th birthday party. And Sylvia Brown is one of, was one of Hay House authors. And so, of course, I had an opportunity. To so meet she her. lived up to expectation too. She, did. she absolutely did. And she's written, I think, about 20 or 30 books. And they're all, you know, books about the other side, reincarnation, prophecies. And can I, I want to share this one little thing because there is a book of hers on prophecy. And literally in the book, she says in 2020, what she sees is a lot of people with masks on. Oh, that there is a virus of some sort. I don't have the exact quote. I didn't bring that book here. But anyway, it really spoke to what was happening right now. And that book was written, I think, in 1996 or something, you know, a long time ago. I may not have those dates exactly right. But anyway, she's one of my heroes. <laughs> okay, so number three, and this is one of your good friends, the Isaiah Effect, Decoding the Lost Science <laughs> Prayer and Prophecy by Greg Braden. And that book I also have here. I gathered as many as I could find. Some of them I don't have. Um, Greg is one of our dearest, dearest friends. However, I think I had this book before we knew Greg personally. And the reason that I like this book is his it's called Decoding the Lost Science of Prayer and Prophecy. And the way that he introduced prayer through this book really touched me very, very deeply. And it is, a, you know, we don't pray. He says, you know, we don't want to pray for something. We want to pray as though it has already happened. We want to have the feeling in our bodies, our minds and our spirits that it's already, it's already done. We've, we've all, it's already happened. And we feel such appreciation and give thanks for it happening. And, and that touched me because I started praying that way. And it really does work. And, um, and in the book, he has an example of uh, a friend of his, a Native American shaman named David. And I don't know if he was a shaman or not, but anyway, a good friend of Greg's. And they were living in New Mexico at the time. And there had been a, a huge drought at that particular time in New Mexico. And he and his friend David utilizing this form of prayer because it was very familiar to his Native American friend. And they did not pray for rain, they 
prayed as though it had already happened. They went up to a sacred space way up in the mountains, way up in the hills outside of Calci, Mexico. And they got up there and Greg thought, oh, they're going to do this huge big ceremony and, you know, it'll be a big deal. And it wasn't. They went up there and David said, okay, now let's just start stomping our feet, feeling mud, feeling water, feeling as though it is pouring down rain on us right now and really, really get into that. And that's what they did. <laughs> and that night, there was a deluge that happened. So, you know, consequence, perhaps, or not. I don't know. But anyway, I really appreciate it. And I guess that Greg discovered the lost mode of prayer. Uh, I think the uh, Dead Sea Scrolls, that's where he found the Isaiah Scrolls. And there was a connection with prayer from the Essenes to uh, a llama in the Himalayans in uh, Tibet. And he was shown by this Lama this mode of prayer, which is what I just shared, which you pray as though it has already happened and feel it, give thanks for it. And that's what I got out of this book. And I'm grateful to Greg. <laughs> It's interesting because this is this is what we are taught with manifestation um, when you're asking for something, but nobody has said you just shift that around a little bit and you know it's a prayer. And to think that what how many thousands of years? Quite quite a oh, lot. Yes. Quite a long time. Yeah, I think yeah. When did Isaiah live? I think it was uh what does it say? It said something that the, the Isaiah scroll is nearly 1,000 years older than existing copies of the Old Testament's book of Isaiah. Yeah. So we're talking thousands of years, basically. Ancient. 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 Yeah. So the, the ancients are uh, coming back. <laughs> and helping us <laughs> yes absolutely i mean the best stuff is the oldest stuff isn't it it it's really stood the is. test of time <laughs> yeah <laughs> definitely <laughs> so number four now this is interesting because this is a novel yeah. and it's a tale from bali by vicky baum this was published in 2000 and it was about uh, balinese culture and you have quite a link to bali yourself I do. I absolutely do. And this was what, you know, like the book of dreams when I went to my bookshelf and I, and I was reacquainted with a tale from Bali and I've had this book since probably the late seventies and Vicki Baum actually wrote it in 1935. Wow. And it is, the reason that I chose it is because for me, the Balinese people are of the most spiritual people on the planet. And I had an opportunity actually to uh, visit Bali for the first time in 1976. And I was in my late twenties at that time. 
and it made such an impact on me. And the reason that it did was really because of the people. There was such a huge degree of kindness and gentleness, and they were all artists. There's, and then I discovered that in their language, there literally is not a word for artist. It is just part of who and what they are. Yeah. And so this, this book, A Tale from Bali, it's rather um, uh, like, I always wanted to be an anthropologist. <laughs> After I traveled so much, I, I want to be an anthropologist. But anyway, I, I read books that, you know, introduce me anthropologically to cultures. And, and this really did. This takes place in Bali at the very, I think around 1904, 1906. Uh, Bali, and so that part of it was a little bit difficult, but interspersed in all of that, it talked a lot about the Balinese culture, and I just, and this is one of many books that I have that were written way, way, way back, a long, long time ago, and, and of course, I then had an opportunity as well to live in Indonesia, and was able to go back to Bali several times in the 80s and um, haven't been back since then, which I'd love to go back. But it was interesting because this book even took on more meaning for me because living in Indonesia, each time I went back, it was more and more developed and more and more and more people had discovered Bali, which was wonderful because it's such a beautiful, absolutely gorgeous, gorgeous place. And the culture is so rich, but it kept getting more and more crowded. <laughs> and I have a dear friend now who lives on Bali and she said, oh, Andy, you would not even recognize it now. But, Do you think uh, it's been spoiled with too much tourism? Yeah, yeah. I think that, you know, it, I think that it has, and I, and I do understand too that now during this time of, of the pandemic that a lot of Balinese, the people are really suffering mightily because, you know, they don't have the tourist come in. And so, you know, it's, you know, the tourist I know has been a, a blessing for them and a blessing for the tourist as well, because when you start, you know, if you go deeper into the culture of Bali, and you really start sort of uncovering the depth of their culture. Oh, it, it's just, it's just, for me, it's the most beautiful culture ever. And I feel a deep, deep affinity. <laughs> mm, mm. That is why I chose this because it really did, on a spiritual level, whoosh, open me up to, a broader consciousness so mm, yeah that's good i mean and and different cultures can do that in a way you know in a whole other way um than we might get that awakening otherwise yeah number five 
a book that's very close to my heart, Ooh. The Mists of Avalon by Marion nice. Bradley. Oh, I've got that one here too. <laughs> yeah, that's just, I mean, that picture I actually painted on a bedroom wall. I loved it so much. <laughs> Sandy, I'm so glad I chose this. Oh, we are Avalon sisters. I love yeah. it. <laughs> I've met quite a few of those in my time, this time round. Oh, I know it wasn't this book just utterly amazing. I mean, and it's, it's a big book and it took me a long time to read it. Oh, but I couldn't put it down. And, you know, just the whole Arthurian legend told through the eyes of we women. Yes. And boy, oh boy, I got chills when I said that too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, oh, and, you know, and also the Mist of Avalon, you know, I read it a long, long time ago, back in the early 90s, I think. And um, so, when I was, you know, when I went to my bookshelf, I had to, like the tale from Bali, I had to pull out The Mist of Avalon. And um, it really, on a spiritual level, you know, it just couldn't help but open me up. And of course, in, it drew me right away to Glastonbury. And I've been to Glastonbury, well, two or three times. I was just there last year. And then, gosh, four or five years before that. So I love Glastonbury. And I feel that the Avalon energy, the goddess energy, is so very uh, present there. And I was introduced to all of that through the mist of Avalon. And I you know, going up to the tour, going to the Chalice Well. In fact, on my iPhone to this day, I have my, uh, my backdrop on the iPhone are the uh, yellow roses that are at the Chalice Well when you go in. And, and, and in fact, here on my desk, oh wow, I have a little thing that says water from the Chalice Well. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, so the spiritual aspect of Avalon uh, was very prevalent for me in this book. And, and I like the fact, too, that it really, I think, empowered women, you know, in our current time. It empowered us more. This book, almost every gal that I know read this book. And... And Sandy, it's so exciting to know that it, you painted your wall in your bedroom with this picture. Mm. You must be a very good artist. <laughs> I'm not, actually. I mean, it was my son's bedroom, believe it or not, a teenage boy. And I was telling him that he could paint on his wall because he was into fantasy books. And I said, go ahead, do it. And he was trying, and he's a great artist, but on that big canvas, he was finding it difficult. And I said, oh, come on, it can't be that difficult, look. And I just picked up that book and just started the horse. And I couldn't, I mean, I can't draw, you know, usually I've got one leg shorter than the other and thinner and, you know, I don't have that kind of perspective in drawing. But there was something that 
the horse came out and my son was going, oh my God, will you do it? And I did. And that, you know, that whole cover was on his bedroom wall, 16 year old boy, would you believe, um, for some years. And it's the only thing I've ever been able. So I think I've had some guidance and help there. Well, I'm impressed, Sandy, because I don't think I could do that. <laughs> you know what, what touched me about that book? And I had to reread it a couple of years ago because I wanted to go back and revisit and rediscover why it meant so much to me. And the, um, you know, the time when the women, you know, the women, um, the men, the, the holy women, the, the goddesses, the, you know, the acolytes, the teachers, you know, being in touch with nature and, you know, natural magic, um, how respected they were and um, how beloved they were and how they would often, you know, be counsellors to the king as well. And for me, that was, it felt like, I know this. I know this, you know, on a level that you don't know how you know it. And I think there's a lot of women who've had exactly the same response to it. Mm -hmm. I, I agree with that completely. And, you know, that whole, it's like the women were so wise and, and like you said, so beloved. <laughs> and it is inspiring to me and to a lot of people, a lot of women who I know who have had struggles with, you know, the patriarchal culture that we live in. Yeah. And, and then reading this, you really just forget it. We're going forward, everybody. You know, we can do that. And I think it was just so profound on that level. And to this day, it's one of my favorites. Mm. Good. Number six, Sound Healing for Beginners by Jonathan? No. Joshua Golden. Joshua Goldman. Okay, not Jonathan. When I first looked at it, I thought it was Jonathan and Alex Sims. And you know what's interesting? On Amazon, it's got it. It's, I had to search for the year it was published because it says January the 1st, 1700. <laughs> Oh, no, that can't be right. <laughs> oh, that's wild. Yeah. It was 2015, I discovered in the end. So yeah. tell us about this book and uh, how this impacted you and how you discovered it. Well, uh, as you were just saying, full disclosure, Joshua Goldman is our son. Oh, okay. And, and yes, yeah, so he is our son. And... Uh, he's uh, actually my stepson and I've raised him since first grade <clears throat> and Alec Sims is our operations manager at Healing Sounds and I just had to choose this book as one of my 10 because as most people know you know we're sound healers and sound is such a an important part of our lives and to also be absolutely truthful, even though this was written by two very, very important people to me, this book is, it really, it should have been called, I wrote down a note, it should have been called Everything You've Always Wanted to Know About Sound Healing. It, instead of the 
found healing for beginners. I'm telling you, I don't know why they named it that because this is not a, this is a book for everyone, whether you're a beginner, whether you are uh, a seasoned sound healer, it has everything in it. I mean, it, it goes into the elements with sound, the voice with sound, the chakras, the bijas. It just, it's so comprehensive. And I, in terms of sound and my exploration of sound for the last 25 years, this book really blew me away. And I, I was shocked when I read it, because I know that, you know, the two of them spent a long time writing this book, but it has just, you know, it's got mantras and magic and sonic space clearing and affirmations with sound and energy circulation. I mean, I just, every page that I open, it has got something quite fascinating and interesting to know about sound, so. Well, and I think you're right. I mean, we all need to know about sound. It really, I absolutely believe from all the research I've done that it is the medicine of the future. It's been the medicine in the past and it's going to take its rightful place again. Oh, I oh, thank you for that, Sandy, because, uh, you know, we've, we've been at this for a long time with sound. And, and of course, Jonathan, I, I like to call him a founding pioneer in the field of sound. He's 40 years, he was bringing sound into our consciousness before many people even knew that sound could be used for healing. And it is, it's everything is frequency. Everything. And everything, you know, we, and of course with our own voice, we can really uh, uh, help our own bodies, minds, and spirits. And, and during this time, I know, I know Jonathan talked about it before, but just humming yeah. <laughs> can be very helpful. Just earlier today, my grandson was out walking the dog with his sister and he was annoying her. Um, and he was singing very, very low, just enough so she could hear it. And it was irritating her. So they came home, pair of them arguing. And I said to him, do you know, I started talking to him about humming. So he went off up the stairs, humming away, thinking, it, that's good, I'm going to do it even more, and my sister's going to get even more annoyed. <laughs> oh, Sandy, that is, that's a great, great story. Oh, I, I like that. Yeah, I see, you know, you, you, you'll do wonders for your health and your well-being if you just hum. So, so I'll be getting dirty looks from her. <laughs> and so he'll be he'll be getting all of it. It's a win-win. He'll get to annoy his sister. <laughs> yeah. And he'll exactly. get to feel good. And then she might even go, Well, I'm just gonna hum right back at you. <laughs> they might both start humming. That's a good idea. I'll tell her to do it. Have a humming competition. <laughs> See who can hum the longest, you know, or the loudest. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So book number seven, love this one. Love the fact that it's there right in the middle. Eats, shoots and leaves. The Zero Tolerance Approach to Punctuation by Lynn Truss, published in 2006. Um, what can we say about this book? I mean, it's a book that, you know, as an editor um, and a writing coach, 
you know, I can't argue with this book and I love the title. And everybody's going to say, what is it doing in the middle of a list of spiritual books? And that is exactly what I said <laughs> to myself. Oh, golly, what am I doing putting eats, shoots and leaves on this list? And I went, I know why I'm putting it on this list. Because first of all, I totally, absolutely, unequivocally love this book. I don't even have my own copy because I've loaned it out. But I looked all over the house for it. I went, where is my copy of Eats, Shoots, and Leaves? I've got to find that. I'm going to order another one. But anyway, I figured I'd just talk about it. But I love this book. And the reason that I chose it, it's kind of a roundabout way to bring in spirituality. But yet at the same time, maybe, you know, some of our listeners can relate. I don't know, I hope. But um, when we begin to get into spirituality and we start really exploring higher realms of consciousness and, you know, we bring in, you know, more spiritual aspects into the way that we live our lives, etc. Oftentimes, and this happened with me, Oftentimes, people will write. They will write about their experiences. Mm -hmm. They will want to share their experiences with other people, with the world. They may want to publish a book about an aspect of their spiritual uh, evolution. And because it did happen to me, you know, I started writing, you know, with Jonathan, and I was so happy that and I'm a real stickler <laughs> for punctuation. And before we even send our books off to the editor, I mean, oh my gosh, I'm like, you know, and you can probably relate to that, Sandy, being a writer yourself. And I just thought that this might be helpful for people who may want to write articles or you know, publish their work about their spiritual journeys in some capacity. Mm -hmm. And so that's really why I chose it. And of course, I mean, we know, you know, you put that comma or that semicolon in the wrong place and you change the entire meaning. The entire meaning. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the whole eats, shoots and leaves. <laughs> and I don't know if you know that you probably know the, the joke about that. Yeah. And uh, so the should I tell the joke? Yeah. Do we have time? <laughs> so anyway, uh, the a panda goes into, hope I can tell this right. Oh my gosh. Um, uh, a panda goes into a bar, orders a sandwich and a drink. He eats it, drinks it, and he gets up to go, but he has a gun and he gets ready to shoot the gun. And the people in the bar are going, oh my gosh, what's the matter? Why are you doing that? What happened? What happened? What are you doing? What are you doing with that gun? And he's going, look at this. And he throws down the magazine, uh, you know, a sports magazine or whatever, and talking about pandas. And it says, panda, here I am. I'm black and white. I'm native to China. And... I eat, comma, shoot, and leaves. <laughs> so he eats, and the commas after eats, shoots, 
and leaves. Yeah. So it cracked me up. And that's another reason why I put this book because it's done with such humor and it's so much fun to yeah. read. So, so if you're not too up on punctuation, you get to be up on punctuation through humor. And I really like that. Which is the best way to learn. And hey, you know, I, I don't see that there's anything wrong in having humor in spirituality. Uh, exactly. I'm agree, totally. And you know, and Sandy, I was also wondering too, if you had ever had a chance uh, to meet Lynn Truss. No. no. I wasn't sure because you're in the same field and I thought yeah. maybe you When that book came out, I was living in America. Um, oh. So I've only been back in England for about a year and a half properly. Oh, wow. Um, I remember when it came out, that book, yeah. Where in America were you living? Um, California. I was in San Diego. I was in LA, Hollywood, um, Kentucky, and Arizona. Wow. So you have, have you've been all over, Sandy. Some <laughs> no yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. 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 My second home. Yeah. Oh, and see, and I feel my second home is England. We need yeah. to trade places here. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that'd be a good idea. So number eight. Now this I was not familiar with. And there's two books of exactly the same title, Neither Wolf, Wolf Nor Dog. And the subtitle is On Forgotten Roads with an Indian Elder by Kent Nurburn. First published in 1994 reissued in 2002 neither wolf nor dog is the title of another book by someone else so tell us about this book i'm intrigued wow. so it's a another title by mm. someone else yeah this book and this is a book that i just recently read this past year and it's actually a trilogy i've read all three of them now but this book, I get a little emotional really when I talk about it because that's how it affected me. And it is by, um, and it, well, he likes to call himself an American Indian. I always thought, you know, Native American, but he said, no, we like to be called American Indians. This was an elder who was 90 years old and he wanted his story, his truth, what happened, he wanted it told by this author, Kent Nearborn, who had written other books on Native American culture. And the elder, his name in the book was Dan. And Dan had found out about him and sort of summoned him to the reservation. And it was sort of like, be here next week. It was really interesting how it all kind of came about. And what the, the elder wanted was to share that the plight really of what happened in this country to the indigenous people who were here before anybody else and what happened to his little sister. And he and his little sister were both really kidnapped and taken to uh, these schools where 
they were literally stripped of their culture on every level. And he wanted that story actually told from his perspective. And he wanted Kent Nearborn to help him find out what happened to his little sister because he never knew. And so the all three of the books, you know, like revolve around that theme. But as you're reading, you get a very beautiful sense of the Native American culture. You know, you go to a sweat lodge, you really begin to bring in Father, you know, Sky, Mother Earth, and it really went right in here for me. Mm-hmm. So it, it was it was a hard book to read. And there were parts of it that I literally had to skip over because I, it was just too, uh, it was just too Painful. much in terms of what they, you know, of the, the violence and that type of thing. But it was well worth the read because it gave me a whole new perspective. You know, it's like one of those parts of why mm-hmm. I love books. You know, I could have never traveled mm-hmm. to the thoughts and the, feelings and emotions of what happened to this man and to his culture. Did he ever find his sister? He did. And of course, you know, he was 90 years old. And uh, unfortunately, he did find where she had been buried. And yeah, Mm. so he, he did find her and it was, it was definitely it was a journey too. It took <laughs> took three books to actually find her, and uh, but he did, and I think that brought him some resolution. And you know, he was ninety, and I think he could let go after yeah. knowing that. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So, book number nine. This comes up many times, and uh, for good reason. And it is the four agreements. A Practical Guide to Personal Freedom by Don Miguel Ruiz, 1997. Lovely, lovely, lovely. I love the simplicity. Me too. Sandy, you know, when you think about it, I had to choose this book because it really did impact my life. And, and of course, as a therapist, it uh, was one that I could share easily with my clients and what I like so much, the four agreements, be impeccable with your word. Don't take anything personally. That is a big one for me. Me too. (laughs) Good. I'm in good company. (laughs) Don't make assumptions and always do your best. And honestly, I think that as a culture, as a people, as a human being, if we could all just do those things, oh golly, what a changed world we would all be living in. And, and I know that, you know, it's, it's interesting because I do always try to do my best and, and I do try to not, not make assumptions and I catch myself, you know, if I'm making assumptions, I'm going, wait a minute, where is that coming from? Why am I making that assumption? It's nothing to do with, you know, anything. And I can catch myself. 
and hopefully I'm impeccable with my word, but the one that really is hard for me, and that was hard, is hard for clients that I've worked with, don't take it personally. You know, it doesn't have anything really to do with you. You know, if someone says something that might hurt your feelings or might have hurt my feelings, oh golly, what did I do? Da, 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 da. They could just be having a bad day. And it could be coming from, you know, something that happened to them when they were a child, you know, that's ingrained in their issues. So I've had to really work at not taking anything personally. <laughs> Interesting, isn't it? I mean, the solutions to all of our problems right there in four sentences. Oh, the, the simplicity of it. Yeah. That, yeah. you know, it's, it is so elementary, my dear. <laughs> Indeed, indeed. Yeah. So that brings us to book number 10. And book number 10 is a title that you're very familiar with. Chakra Frequencies, Tantra of Sound by Jonathan Goldman and Andy Goldman, published in 2011. And before I talk about it, I do have my copy here. But before I talk about it, I just want to say thank you Sandy for allowing Jonathan and I both to choose one of our own books to put on the list because you know we we wouldn't have probably done that if we hadn't known that it was okay because it's just who we are <laughs> but that we were able to thank you very much because it means a lot to us to be able to share our work and our books and I know that the two books that we've co-authored are Chakra Frequencies and, and The Humming Effect. And I know Jonathan last week shared The Humming Effect, which he really wanted to do. And I said, well, I would love, to, I'm happy to share Chakra Frequencies. Mm -hmm. And this book also won the Best Alternative Health Book of the Year, and which I was delighted about. And completely blown away by because we spent a long long time writing this book it has information in it that that I feel is so important for people who are actually just opening up to sound and it, it can be for people that have been using sound for a long time but it talks about the scientific aspects of sound as well as the spiritual aspects of sound. And because this was the first book that Jonathan and I rather tackled together, we had wanted to somehow incorporate his pioneering work with sound and my work as a therapist. And so we came up with some interesting exercises that could be used therapeutically and so I, I really like that part of this book. And, and, and one of those exercises, I don't know if we have time, I think we do, to share. Um, one of those is that uh, if you are with another person, if you're, you know, maybe a spouse, a partner, whomever, you know, it can be your child, it doesn't matter. And, but primarily it's, you know, if you're, it's your partner, because what you want to do is, 
make an agreement ahead of time that if you get into a really tough place, a really hard, you're having, you know, an, a fight about something, you know, you, um, you know, one of the people in the partnership is upset and you're getting nowhere. And if one of you can have the presence of mind to remember the agreement that you, that you made last week, that if one of us gets in that place, the other one will say, honey, let's ohm together. Give me your hands, if you can, you know, if you're not mad enough to do that, and let's start ohming. Ohm. And Sandy, honestly, Jonathan and I have done that many times, because we're normal. We get, we get, <laughs> we get in those places. And every single time, honestly, within a minute, two minutes, three minutes of really, you know, it's hard to do at first, but then after two or three minutes, your energy completely shifts. Yeah. The frequencies completely go into, you know, what happens is that when we're sounding with our voice, there's a release of oxytocin which is the trust hormone it's just one of the physiological benefits of working with your own voice and and so that trust hormone gets released and more times than not after two or three minutes we've started laughing it was a, what were we even arguing about <laughs> so thank you for that i always love giving takeaways to people you know every show I do you know I try to find something that people can you know take away and use in their own life so thank you for that and it is you know it deserves to be on your list I wouldn't deny it I mean so many people clearly love the book and it is an award winner so um you know it wasn't uh, a vanity project <laughs> putting it there by any means so thank you for that 10 best list. I want to ask you, if you had a young person that you were mentoring who was looking to find their way in life on a spiritual path or just a conscious path, you know, a path of awakening, um, and you had to give them a book and you could only give them one of these 10, which would it be? Hmm, wow. Sandy, there's, there's a lot in each of them mm. that I would want them to know about. I think probably I would choose, I think I would choose the four agreements. Mm. I think that it's so beautifully, simplistically done that and it's a short book, it's not a long book. So they would go, you know, if they would want to read, they go, yeah, I, I'll take that one. It's, it's little, but then they would get these four beautiful, beautiful ways of being. And that would make my, my heart and my, my soul very happy if, if I could share that book with a child or someone who I really love. Yeah. They've got it. Good choice. And Very and good choice. Okay, so when you um, put together this list and we published it this month at the beginning of July, 
um, we asked you to come up with uh, some descriptors, some nouns, you know, some keywords or phrases that described you. And of course, you have holistic psychotherapist, sound healer, author, musician. I'm asking everybody to give us one more, one more word or phrase that is more intimate, gives us an insight into Andy behind the bio, and maybe something that only your partner, your children, your loved ones, your best friends would know about you. So it could be anything, anything at all. But it has to be how you would describe yourself. Wow. I gotta think about this for a second here. <laughs> well, while you're thinking, I will tell you that when I asked Jonathan, he said, Heyoka, which is a word oh. for trickster. Oh, and he is. He is definitely. <laughs> I'm probably the opposite of Heyoka. <laughs> we have a good company. You know, it's, it's interesting because one of the things that I think that people don't know about me is that I now consider myself a musician. However, I was not a musician until well into my 50s. And when I was well into my 50s, I started playing the harp. And it was something that I had longed to do for many, many, many years. I'd never had the opportunity to do, and it, the opportunity did, in fact, present itself to me, and I took that opportunity, and so I learned, and I'm still learning, how to play the harp, and I take lessons uh, part of the year, maybe six months out, you know, half the year, and to this very day, it is the hobby that I adore. And it's my passion. And I don't really talk about that too much. So that's something that I can share with you. So can I add that to your page? Yeah. <laughs> Good. And there, there's the harp right there, yes? I know it. And, and I had to, this was like the best place. And I went, oh, I'll just have my, this is my, this is also my friend. What's on my friend? My harp. <laughs> oh, I imagine. So what do you get? when you're playing it? You know what, I, I get an inner, like well, a lot of different things. You know, if I'm really practicing a piece and, you know, really learning, you know, a specific piece, like I was working recently on Zimnopedi, which is a difficult piece, and I'm just about got it. So it's a feeling of accomplishment. But also what happens when I play the harp, if I'm really stressed about something or there's anxiety happening, I will just go sit in front of my harp. And this is a technique that my teacher taught me. And I just take all my fingers, my hand, and I just go over all the strings. And there is something that is so soothing about that. And it brings me into a very centered place. So the harp does a lot of those things for me. Would you do that for us? <gasps> oh. <laughs> well, I can't, I'll, I'll see what I, I'll, you won't be able to see me, but I'll, I'll just do a little, 
just 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 so that we can listen you know what maybe i can even turn around can you hear that So now that's the sort of thing if you walked into a house and you saw the harp sitting there your eyes would be going to it all the time and you'd be saying, i just want to pluck those strings <laughs> oh thank you for that Betty. i have uh uh one of the things that they'll talk about performance anxiety and so that was really the <laughs> thank you that broke through for me <laughs> is it hard to learn you know what people say it is so difficult how are you learning and for me i don't find i mean i i have to really work at it for sure because it's the first musical instrument i've ever played so i'm learning in the process to read music etc cetera, etc cetera. and you know once you get the techniques and my teacher is very much of a stickler with technique and i don't find it that difficult i find it very enjoyable yeah well if you've got a passion for it yeah. then it wouldn't be difficult would it that's wonderful thank you i didn't know that about you and i yeah i want to add that to your page andy goldman thank you i would like you know i'm sure people here know but if you want to know more about jonathan and andy's work go to healingsounds.com and you have to read the humming effect and you have to read uh you know your choice chakra frequencies mm -hmm. Good. And any other books on the horizon? You know, not at the moment. Not at the moment. We're we're taking a little breather. <laughs> well, when you have one, let me know. Oh, Sandy, thank you so much. And and Sharon, thank you for orchestrating all of this too. And just many blessings of love and light through sound to you both and to all of the listeners. Thank you all very much. Andy Goldman, blessings, and to everybody who's joined us here live and who will be watching this later. Thanks.